Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin this program with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Lewis. Our scripture reading comes from the first chapter of St. Mark, the Gospel of St. Mark. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. O Lord Jesus Christ, you were born for us on Christmas Day so that you may live for us, teach us, suffer for us, and die for us on the cross, and rise again for our justification, our redemption, our salvation. Inspire us with your grace and your holy life and example, that we may proclaim the gospel, your gospel, to the world, that each of us may, through the proclamation, have an encounter with you, that we may, at the end of time, be joined with you in the fullness of the kingdom. All this we ask in your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that very much. So here we are. Did I don't know if this... Does this feel like the beginning of a new year for you? We already had a... We, uh, no, we weren't on last week because you... <laughs> you were hearing the proclamation of the gospel, weren't you? I was. You? <laughs> yeah. You went to the Sikh conference. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. I, I know that's sort of a big deal event. I, yeah. It's probably one of the biggest events that happens these days at sort of a national level in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Sikh is um, is an annual conference put on by Focus Missionaries Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And um, and every year they about this time of year when it's the end of uh, Christmas break for students on campuses, they host this conference, and um, I was joined by seventeen thousand of my best friends this year. It was a very good time. Uh, it was hosted in St. Louis, uh, so we were gathering for the liturgies and for the uh, keynotes uh, presentations. Uh, in the Dome, which is the stadium where the St. Louis Rams used to play before they moved to L.A. So so they need an NFL stadium to contain all of us these days, I guess. And then for the various breakout sessions, go to our um, our smaller talks. And I was participating. Uh, Focus has been for 20, almost 25 years, I guess, been on college campuses. But for the last five or six years, trying to find ways to branch out and work uh, in collaboration with dioceses and parishes. And they've been working with St. Mary since I got there. I wanted to partner with the local, uh, uh, our regional coordinator for Focus Missionary Activities. And and so they have a separate track for uh, parish uh, parish um, uh, efforts to evangelize. And now, are you kind of a celebrity there? Because uh, isn't St. <laughs> Mary's one of the, like, at the front end of this whole process of discerning how to have focus missionaries and focus efforts touch parish life? Yeah, uh, one one of the models they're trying, I think we are, it's a model that uh, focus will, through the diocese, work in partnership directly with uh, parish priests and not... Another model is that a parish can hire a missionary to be on staff at the parish. But this was a model I proposed because while there is still a need for evangelization in smaller um, uh, parishes that don't have as good, you know, as as robust resources like that, uh, to still do something. So this is a way to partner directly with Focus and not have a missionary at the parish. And so it is an interesting new model, and other dioceses and archdioceses are looking to um, replicate that model for themselves, including Denver, which is interesting because Denver is where Focus is hubbed. Mm-hmm. So you'd think that they would that they would have that partnership already, but they're looking at us for 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 a model. So I, I don't say I'm a I'm a celebrity and you know I, I certainly don't seek that. I try to hide in one corner of the big room that we were in. And it's kind of uh, hide to hi- it's kind of difficult to hide you, Father Lewis. I, I try to slouch. You're a big presence. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what would be the um what would be a couple of highlights of the event itself? You know, you mentioned a lot of the like facts and figures, right? Yeah. And that's impressive having yeah. that many young people especially yeah. fired up enough to say I want to go attend a conference during my winter break mm-hmm. as a college student mm-hmm. is really a, that's impressive all by itself. Yeah. But was there a particular uh, event that happened? Was there a talk that happened? Was there a new insight that came out? Was there a moment of encounter that broke through and it was just like, wow, God's kingdom was made manifest here? Or, wow, I see the gospel alive here, something like that. Um. Well, nothing that really stood out for me, but you know, I think part of that, and I've reflected on this, is uh, some of these speakers I've I've heard in other uh, venues, and um, and they, you know, they give variations of of the same talk, which 
you know, sounds like it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing because what they're doing is proclaiming the gospel, but in their, you know, in their personal fashion. And so you hear the speaker speak this before, but they do that because every time they speak, it's a different audience that can stand to benefit from that. But for me, the biggest takeaway was, as you described, that, you know, that speaker is not necessarily speaking directly to me right now, but I perceive how that speaker is speaking to all these people around me and how fired up they are. And that has energized me that that I'm part of the mission that 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 feeds these people and fuel them for mission in my own way as a parish priest. So that was it was reconfirming for me in my ministry to to observe that. Yeah, it's this is an interesting thing. I want to talk about this with you here because uh, I've been doing church work for since 1989. That's yeah, a long time, mm-hmm. 34 years this year, and. The idea of going and giving talks, yeah, oh, they want to hear that talk, mm-hmm. the talk on the Mass or on Confession or on the Holy Spirit or on whatever. And it's the same talk, and there's something about when I hear a talk or I give a talk, I at least want to update the stories. Yeah, And this was something like Carrie would say to me. She's like, you're still telling that story. Not me, but maybe me. Uh, that person is still giving that story that, was from 25 years ago. Haven't they evangelized anybody else in the last 25 years? Hasn't the Lord broken through in miraculous ways in, in the last 30 years in that person's life or in my life? And and so I, I take that to heart. And, and so on the one hand, I want that concept of, no, the, the journey of the gospel in someone's life is going to be living. And so if it's living, then there should be something new about the stories and the happenings and the events where Christ continues to break through. That's the first. And then the second is giving a talk, even if it's the same talk, even if it was, even if I was using the same stories, I'm still different in the moment that I'm giving the talk than the last time I was giving it. Mm -hmm. My own personal journey of growth and holiness, of seeking the Lord, is it's either moving forward or it's moving back. But there's one thing that's true. It's not stagnant. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah. And so if I'm different, then the way that the, the message of the gospel is going to radiate forth from me, if it's going to come forth from me, it's going to be different. And the same is true for the audience, right? So you mentioned that. I think that portion of it is that, well, the audience is going to be different. And so their capacity to receive is going to be connected to the, the grace of that moment as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it, and, you know, that speaks to the, to, the, to the wisdom of the church having the three-year lectionary cycle. We're hearing the same gospel passage this coming Sunday that we heard three years ago and six years ago and nine years ago. And um, and people have asked me a lot, how do you come up with a homily when it's the same readings every three years or whatever? And uh, and my response is always the same, is that the scriptures have remained the same, but we have changed, please God. We have grown in those three years since I last gave this homily on this passage or since, um, since um, the people last heard it. And so the Church in her wisdom recognizes that it's it's the same treasure chest of of riches that we're receiving uh, you know year in and year out but but if we're re- really receiving it in some measure even if it's just a little bit and then we try to open up more to receive more but then you know just the receiving helps to to change us and grow us so the next time I hear it I'm receiving it in a new way because I am a new person yeah I love that and it also speaks to the newness of the gospel mm-hmm um, Nicholas of Cusa, I'm sure one of your favorite oh, yeah. cardinals from the 15th century. Oh yeah, good old Nicky. Yeah, yeah Nicholas well. of Cusa. He was <laughs> he was famous for his Docta Ignorancia, learned ignorance. <laughs> that uh, the more we know, the more we know we don't know, yeah. right? And so, one of his ways of talking about scripture was that reading scripture as that particular manifestation of the bread of life. He said it's like. Um, fresh bread every time you open it. And he gets into that sense of when you go into a bakery every day, it's it's the same thing every day. Here's a loaf of bread, here's a bagel, here's a panini, here's but fresh bread. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't beat it. You cannot <laughs> beat it. The smell is the same, but it is alive. Uh-huh. I mean, it is it's I'm glorious. getting I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I am getting hungry. It's almost lunchtime, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> So fresh bread yeah. is reading the gospel. And so I love that idea. Yeah. So 
uh, every morning you're reading the Office of Readings. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you do the Office of Readings in the morning. I do. Yeah. You do. Okay. So, and so you begin with the invitatory psalm, mm-hmm. right? So if you're reading Psalm 95, come let us sing to the Lord, shout with joy to the rock who saves us. I, I still, you know, every morning I, I will often just be stopped. And I'm just like, okay, I've got to read that again. Wait a minute. That word jumps out at me. Now, maybe that word jumped out at me six months ago or six years ago, but it jumped out as fresh bread. Mm -hmm. There's something fresh and new about God's word. And I dare you to to outlast God (laughs) in the ability to bring something new out of his word. Yeah. Is that your experience? It is, yeah. You know, I was thinking about the liturgy hours just as you were sharing um, sharing about the office of reading that you know, the whole cycle of Psalms is a four-week cycle. And so it's the same wisdom that I'm not the same person I was four weeks ago, so I'm receiving this in a new way. And what practically that looks like is, as you described, last time I prayed this psalm, it, you know, who knows what word it was that jumped out. I've since forgotten. But I know, you know, but this word jumps out at me now, or this clause jumps out at me now, or, you know, a different emphasis in that clause jumps out at me this time. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm ruminating on that. And, uh, and so every time I engage the Psalms, even though it's the same Psalms week in and week out, you know, practically speaking, um, I, I find new ways to engage in it because, because it is the Word of God. It's just always, always fresh and it's speaking to us in different ways. Why is that? Because our life circumstances have changed, you know. Who knows, but that four weeks from now, between now and the next time I pray these psalms for today, I experience some kind of glorious uh, you know, blessing or some awful tragedy that, that changes my life in a pretty significant way. So that the next time I read those psalms, it's speaking to me completely different because of that in the meantime, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And I think that um, when we have priests like you who have that sensitivity to the newness of God's Word— we are going to be blessed as a, as a as an assembly when we hear God's word proclaimed because the freshness and the newness that struck you lives in you so that you're not just going through the motions right, right? the some of the most painful or difficult moments in my own shepherding of my kids has been not at St. Mary's but when we lived on the west side my kids would look at me sometimes during Mass, and they would say things like, Father looks more bored than we do. Oh, no. Uh, and it was the manner of presiding yeah. that was just, it felt like it was just going through the motions. Yeah. And and the, whether it was saying the prayers or just the demeanor or just the sense of, and it wasn't, was it just a matter of temperament or personality? It was the the radiance. Yeah, it was the radiance and that spirit of. Um, it just seems snuffed. What's happening here? Yeah, uh, am I just going through the motions, checking the box, and moving on? Yeah. Versus, no, wait a minute. This this gets at the heart of who I am as a priest, yeah. as a priest, child of God, son of God, who is joining in with Christ the High Priest in this great act of touching heaven, touching earth, and bringing redemption and all this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to do that in a, in a way that evokes. I'm reverent. I'm present in a reverent way. That is so powerful. Yeah. That is so powerful. So it, it's, a, it's, it's an Aquinas thing. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, your preaching gives away your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. It does. It's tra- uh, what is, content, what is uh, teaching? Teaching is the act of tradere alis contemplata, that you're handing over to others the fruits of your contemplation. Well, if you're not contemplating, there are no fruits, and that's going to show up when it's time for you to teach, to witness, to live, to proclaim, to preach. What shows up is the quality and depth of our prayer. Yeah. That's a pretty dramatic thing. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Father? I feel uh, convicted. You're exposed. <laughs> I'm exposed. Do you I'm feel convicted. exposed? <laughs> I know I need to uh, make sure that I'm, I'm always... If I'm not praying... You know, I've heard this one time. If, if I go a day without praying, I know it. If I go two days without praying, everyone knows it. You know? Wow, I, I to, like that. Yeah, That's a great line. Probably along the lines of what you're saying, that if I'm not praying, then I'm, I'm gaining no fruits from the contemplation, so I'm sharing nothing. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. I'm clearly not loving, joyful, or peaceful, because why? I've not been praying to receive those fruits, yeah. uh, those gifts to make those fruits happen. And, and I think that's where it's just, it's just a commitment. Yeah, right? It's just a commitment to say, I'm not going to let this... I'm not going to let this rob me of the source of life in me, 
right? I mean, lay people, you got to hear this, brothers and sisters in Christ, you got to get up when you when you start your day. You have to pray first. You you really ought to pray first. Yeah. You don't have to. You ought to pray first because you'll then start your day rooted in Christ, nurturing and, and deepening that sense of union with Jesus Christ, which will give you the grace you need to be patient and kind, mm-hmm. the, the grace you need to be trusting and 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 reliant on the Lord. And so, pr- prayer at the beginning of the day is so critical. Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the kerygma. What does that mean? Oh. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. All right, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're here talking about at the beginning of the uh, not the beginning of the liturgical year, the beginning of ordinary time. Does it feel cool we had to change books in the Liturgy of the Hours? Yeah. Right? And now we're in book three, and we are at, uh, at the first pages, mm-hmm. right? My That's pretty cool. My book to close because there's not enough weight <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> at the beginning of, uh, of that first, uh, first, is it the first week of ordinary time, mm-hmm. and uh, in week one of the four-week cycle. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but it's a great time to reflect on the, the gospel. And you began with Mark chapter 1, where the first words Jesus says, announcing right out of the gate, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now, that's called the kerygma. I used yeah. a big word. Yeah. Okay, what is the kerygma, Father? The kerygma is you know, a, Greek, a Greek word, so if it sounds Greek, it's because it is. And it, I think it basically just means proclamation. And so the question is, proclamation of what? Of the good news, the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the kerygma? You know, it's the, is the next question. And so, you know, that's what the gospels teach us, what scripture's about, right? Yeah, the central message. It's yeah. the central message of the gospel. And believe it or not, I, I'm wondering, did you ever have that as a theme of study in your time in the seminary? Like a standalone theme? Yeah. Mm-mm. No, we did not. I had a whole course. Well, that's good. I had an entire course. A course in theology uh, on the central message of the gospel. And we took the entire semester to take a look at repent, believe, the kingdom of God is here now. Just those simple concepts yeah. and what that meant. And it was taught by a scripture scholar named Dermot Cox, a Franciscan, brilliant scripture scholar, brilliant theologian. I encourage you, if you've never read anything, he wrote a book on the Psalms as like the prayer book of the people of God, something like okay. that, but a brilliant professor, and we had it in a seminar format. So it was just a handful of us, oh, wow. um, like sitting at his feet, learning the central message of the gospel. Now, I was so excited about it because I had this evangelistic spirit. Like, I couldn't talk about Jesus enough, mm-hmm. so much that I might have gotten kicked out of the seminary. Can you imagine? <laughs> too much too much of a Jesus, Jesus freak? But... <laughs> Uh, just that idea that what is the central message of the gospel? I think a lot of folks wonder, what is the central message of the gospel? So we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to take a look at, first of all, the kingdom of God. So, So, Father, when we think about this idea of the kingdom of God is here now, it's breaking in, it's breaking in. Um, When you reflect on or think about the meaning of the kingdom of God, how would you like launch out? Like we're just gonna we'll just have the conversation. How would you launch out and say, when I think about the kingdom of God, here are some of the key ideas that come to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I think I, I think physic, uh, uh, literally of a physical kingdom. You know, like maybe described in the Book of Revelation, where we've got walls that protect us from the evils of the outside world, and and um, and, and God is with us always. Like actually, there, He's the source of our light and life. And what does that what does that then start to uh, feel like um, emotionally and spiritually? Is I feel um, I feel like I'm safe and I feel like I'm at peace um, because I don't 
I've, I've, if I'm in the kingdom, like in the fullness of the kingdom, then, then I've made it. Um, so my labors are done. I'm, I'm now receiving the reward for my labors. And, um, and so I can just be at peace and at rest and, and filled with joy that, that my lot now is to just, uh, you know, commune with the Lord in, in praise and thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. But I do be, my mind goes right to the kind of what a kingdom physically looks like, a kingdom on a hill surrounded by a town. There's maybe a big old castle on top, some kind of palace or something. You know. Yes. Well, and you talked about this in your homily last Sunday. You talked about the encounter with Christ where there's a provision and a protection. Yeah. A provision and a protection. And I think that both of those uh, themes, and I would add in one more, leading, yeah. right? So there's that sense of guidance or leading. She leads, provides, protects. That... When you're in the kingdom of God, you're you want to use that physical thing, the realm. Yeah. The when you're realm. when you're dwelling in the realm of the king, you're protected. Yeah. So anyone that comes in is like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm a citizen under this kingship. You you go after me, I, you're gonna have to deal with him. Yeah. You're gonna have to deal with the king. Yeah. Um, but that idea of that the kingdom of God isn't something that just conceptually we have to accept. It's something that is real. And breaks into our today. Yeah. Okay. Here's my story um, of the here and now. I'm not going to tell a story from 30 years ago. I'm going to tell a story from yesterday. So yesterday morning I went to mass, and uh, Carrie and I are doing some planning for this year. Right. Financial planning, like economies in a certain place. It's it's not easy. Yeah. And so there is a building uh, that I own, and um, I am going to be selling the building. Right, don't. It's not a big building. It's not. You know, it's not a big apartment complex worth millions of dollars. Okay, oh. sorry. You're thinking. Are you thinking tithing at Saint Saint Mary's? Like, hey, hey, let's go. Let's get an altar rail around here now. Come on. Um, so um, I. So we discerned, and it was like, okay, we need to sell this building. Well, this is not an easy market uh, to sell a building. So I have gone to the Lord and just said, Lord, you've got to sell this building. But I, 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 this is not on me. This is I am under your protection and provision and guidance. Please take over. You do it. Now I'm in real estate, right? So I know how to prepare a listing and all of this other stuff. But uh, yesterday at mass, yesterday morning, I said, Lord, please, just you take over. You do this. Okay. I got home and I was doing some work, and I got a phone call from a commercial real estate agent, and he was checking in with me at the beginning of the year. And, um, and I said to him when he was done checking in with me, Hey, how's it going? Where are you at? What's happening this, these days? And I said, Hey, I've got a question for you. And I said, I have a commercial property. And in the back of my mind, there was this sense of, I remember when I bought the property, there was another buyer at the table, but they weren't able to pull the trigger. So I ended up buying it. And so when I was thinking about how am I going to sell this property? I thought, if I could only get in touch with those people, you know, I, how do I do that? So I got a call from this real estate, you know, uh, agent, commercial real estate agent, and, um, and checking in. And I said, hey, I've got this property. It's out, it's out there near the airport. And started to describe. He says, I know that property. <laughs> he said, I've been through that property. I'm like, really? And I said, yeah, I remember it was on the market. I said, you didn't happen to be touring it for this couple, and I just—I mean, this, these other buyers—and I described them because I knew what they were, what business they were in. He said, "Yeah, they were my clients," and and he said they're actually very interested in that property. <laughs> and so I've had like two other phone calls with them, and texts with them, and emails, and uh, and this morning just before you came, he called me back, and we, they're going to tour it next week, and they said we'll probably have an offer to you by next Thursday. Wow, God provides. <laughs> okay, so uh, when I say to people, give God a chance. Let the Lord take over. Mm -hmm. Let the Lord take the lead. Put it into God's hands and watch what he will do. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean when I say God is the living Lord, and his kingship is active in our regard. And I, this might not work, right? It might not, it might not come through, but what a beautiful sign— yeah. Of the Lord saying to me, Tom, I got you. Mm -hmm. I got this. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to get that building sold. I was thinking it was going to take six months. It might take six days. Wow. Is that a cool story? It is, yeah. 
It's a, yeah, I don't have a story um, quite of that. I don't own property, <laughs> so I don't have a story like that. But but uh, a recent story for me is uh, I'll go into my like a daily holy hour. I try to pray just in in the church um, on my own prayer time and and uh, maybe some kind of spiritual read or you know a, some a notebook to to journal with or something. And I'll go in like with a pre-planned idea of what I'm going to pray and what I'm going to, who am I going to pray for and all this. And, uh, and, but every now and again, I, I get the inspiration to just like, let all that go. It's there if I need it, but let's just like kind of follow God's lead. And all of a sudden, uh, specific parishioners were like put on my heart as it were to, to pray for them. And I don't know what for, but to just, you know, offer their, whatever their intentions are to the Lord in the midst of my prayer time. And I actually texted a couple of them to, to just to let them know that I'm praying for them in that moment. And, you know, one of them calls back and says, it's so amazing that you reached out just then. I just had a conversation with my brother who's fallen away from the church, and I think he's ready to come back. And I told mom, and she's all excited. So, like, it opened up a floodgates of what, what those graces had done. And, and, and several of those people that I texted, you know, had very similar stories. Like, it's so funny that you're telling me this right now, Father, because, and then they tell me their story. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened. And who knows, but that those graces may not have easily has come to them if I didn't freely surrender that to the Lord and just follow his lead. I, that is so powerful. It's so beautiful. And folks that are listening, this is so relevant for your life as well, right? You might not have commercial property, but I'm sure that you have needs, mm-hmm. right? There's like, oh, Lord, how am I going to pay those bills? Or how am I going to take care of this situation over here? And, um, and the Lord is waiting, He's waiting for us to place it into his hands because we live in his realm. If we really live in his kingdom, are we willing to let the Father truly bless us? And you might think, oh, that's, I I can't relate to that. Well, you can relate to prayer. Mm -hmm. I mean, Father Lewis, your example is so beautiful that every one of us, when we go to prayer, we come with our, like, okay, here's my itinerary for how I'm going to be praying. But do you make room for God in that itinerary? Do you make space for the Lord to say, Lord, speak into it. If there's someone I ought to be praying for, bring that person to mind. If there's a situation I ought to be praying for, that this is part of what you're doing. Part of what you're doing in my life right now, Lord, is um, using me as a vessel of collaboration, of cooperation, for bringing about a blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, when you pray today, maybe when you go to Mass, I do it a lot when I go to Mass. I'm praying for others. Mm-hmm. I receive communion for others. And it's, who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who are you bringing to mind? What's the situation? Mm-hmm. And I love that you get the confirming text back. I notice you've never texted me. Well, you, you, you weren't on my heart that particular day, I guess, Tom. Um, I'll text you ever, later today. Ever, <laughs> ever. Yeah, so I guess you're not, the Lord is not calling you to pray for me during your prayer times. But uh, that, and then to have that confirmation back, right? Mm-hmm. What a blessing it was for those people, right? Yeah. What did they experience? Yeah. You know, and, and some would come back, you know, even uh, like the next day or, the, or later that week and just kind of follow up with what happened since they texted me. And, and so, you know, and they're telling others about it. And, that, you know, that, that makes me think that's a part of our ability to, to proclaim the gospel is we can memorize the Bible, I suppose. But, but the gospel, the Lord's gospel to bring us to life and to usher us into the kingdom can be a very personal thing, too. So just knowing that you receive graces, that you had that encounter with the Lord and being joyful enough and bold enough to, to tell that story to others is like a, a miniature kerygma that you're proclaiming. Yeah. It's, a, it's the kerygma in, in the microcosm. And, yep. um, and that's what they were doing for me. It's like, I'm getting the gospel told to me in this, in this small way, but that, that, that builds them up because they have a story to tell that builds me up because I'm, I'm hearing this story and that I know that my prayers were efficacious and it's hand helping hand as we're on this journey together. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know how many... Um, Catholics, do we do we really live like that? Yeah. Do we really um, have that sensitivity that we are here in solidarity with others whom God has created for this moment, planted in these areas in order to fulfill His kingdom? When you talk about like a charisma gospel passage, for me it's Luke twelve thirty two, and it's you know do not live in fear, little flock. It has pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. Yeah. So it's a kingdom passage. Mm-hmm. It's pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. And I think that, again, that upends 
so many people's expectations that, all right, you're in my kingdom. All right, I guess I got to take care of you again. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, man, how much time do I have to really devote to you into this? Versus, no, it's the Father's good pleasure. Yeah. The Father takes more delight in blessing us with kingdom blessings, with blessings that show his providential care, his provision, his protection, and his guidance than we do in receiving it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's just a shocking thing when people experience that, that, yeah. that sense of God's good pleasure and blessing us even more than we, um, even more than we uh, uh, delight in receiving. He delights in giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the height of how that happens, when that happens, is the Mass. And if we listen carefully, I would challenge our listeners to really listen carefully, especially to the opening collect. That's the opening prayer of the Mass that the priest prays. You know, as often as not, it seems, I think it happened again today as we're recording this, the opening Mass, it says, Oh God, who was pleased to, and then, you know, whatever it was that Jesus did that we mentioned in the collect, but there's always language that, you know, whose will it was, or, it, you know, whom it pleased to do this. We, we get a sense that all of this is for God's uh, glory and, 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 and according to his will and, and for, for, his, uh, for his pleasure and honor, and we are honored to be a part of that. It's not, God is not begrudgingly giving us his son, but that it pleases him and it is his will. And, and it's so frequently mentioned right there at the start of Mass in the collect, and then that sets the tone for us, hopefully, uh, in, in the rest of our engagement with the rest of the Mass, that all of this is what God wants to give to us and wants to do for us. You know, he's not a, he's not a, a, a begrudging giver. He's not a, gr- a grumbling giver. He's a grateful giver, you know. Yes. Well, Father, I want to continue digging into this. Uh, today we're talking about the, the kerygma, the basic gospel message, just the core of the gospel. And we've started on with this concept of the kingdom. And this kingdom breaks into our lives where the Lord takes initiative. He takes initiative, but often what he does is he stirs within us the grace to come to him, to give him space and room to come and bless us in a way that fills us to overflowing. I just love that. Fills us to overflowing. It's more than we can ask or imagine. When we come back, Father, we're going to talk about the distinction between Jesus coming to bring correct information and Jesus coming to bring good news and how those two things are different and what that actually means for our life of faith. I'm Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis today. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carmel with Father Jeff Lewis, and we are talking about the basic gospel message. Basic doesn't mean elementary. Right. It means foundational. Yeah. Right? And so there's something about the concept of the kingdom of God is here now. There's that breaking into our lives quality, but there's also that sense that when this message comes to us, it demands a response. Mm-hmm. And somehow not to respond is a response. Is a response. Yeah. And this is something I've pondered for many years. We've talked about it on Sound Insight, but I want to review it again today. And that is that um, Jesus Christ, when he comes, he asks for a personal response from us to him. And again, that was the key of your, uh, of your, te- of your homily last week, yeah. was that when you met Christ in these four different events— it called for a response, four different times, distinct, like a diamond, four different facets yeah. of the response to Christ, who was relating to you in a particular way. I think that this is one of those things where Pope Benedict, in his theme of encounter, and the need to respond to that encounter, is very relevant today. Yeah. And, um, and, and I'm going to tee it up, and then you talk. And it's a simple thing, is that If Jesus came to bring correct information about God, and he did, he revealed the truth about who God is, and all we had to do was memorize it, and he gave us a correct moral code to follow, and all we did was strive to live according to it, Pope Benedict says, we haven't even passed the starting line, because we've missed the essence of the gospel, which is responding personally to Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. Is he overstating it? No, I, in fact, what came to mind was what Paul says in uh, St. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, the famous litany of love. But he begins that whole litany with, 
you know, if I if I can speak all tongues, if I can give myself my my body to to sacrifice, but I have not love, then what have I really done? Nothing. He keeps saying, I gave nothing, I gain nothing, I am nothing. And it all goes back to love, but not the feeling of love like you know, like we hear about in songs, but the fullness of what that means, willing the good of the other for the sake of the other. And so making an active part of the will. And so and so that's that means that we make an active uh, an action act of the will to receive, and that's what I think of is what does it mean to respond to the kerygma? Uh, what what I keep thinking of for myself and what I preach is that it's you know the kerygma is a gift. The gospel is a gift because it's 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 life giving and it's it's um, it, you know it ushers us into the kingdom. But it's a gift, and so our response is is one or one or two. It's we accept and receive that gift, or we reject it and set it aside. And um, or you know even if we choose to do ne- neither, well that's still a, a mild form of rejection. We've we've chosen not to receive that gift. There's only those two options: to receive it or to not receive it. And um, and that is love. I receive it because Jesus wants to love me, and I want to be the beloved. So lover and lover and beloved. And um, and so it goes back to Saint uh, Saint Paul's. You know, if I don't have that love, if I have not received that gift, then all these good things that I'm doing and all these awesome things that I know, it's just, it just is so much dross. Yeah. Well, the, one of the fundamental differences between um, believing correct things and following Christ is that I can believe correct things through my own independent mastery of content. And that means I get to stay in control. Mm-hmm. And that means I get to be independent. Mm-hmm. And that's a very attractive, uh, that's a very attractive uh, feature of people's living lives today. And I think that idea of Jesus, if you're going to follow a, a, the person of Christ, the living God, come among us, who approaches you, there's a fundamental act of surrender and abandonment, yeah. which is very different than the idea of ask me a question about the faith, I'll give you the correct answer, and it'll be orthodox. Right. And somehow that means I, I've, I, I'm okay. Yeah. So I think that it comes down to the personal dimension of, am I willing to respond in the way that Christ established, not in the way that you want, Father, or that I want? Right. And he, he established a pretty clear identifier of the two things required of those who recognize that God's kingdom in the person of Jesus is coming at you. He's broken in, not at your initiative, at his initiative. He's broken in, and now he's saying, okay, here's the kingdom. You've got to do two things. What are those two things? Repent and believe. Yeah. Repent and believe. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up, he, he takes repent and be baptized. He yeah. translates what uh, the belief actually looks like. So let's explore those two themes of repentance and belief as the proper response to the breaking in of the gospel in our lives. Mm-hmm. So now, Father, that you're a priest, you probably don't have to have a breaking in the gospel that causes you to repent. Is that true? Or are you all done with that part of no, thing? No, I'm at the climax of life. <laughs> I've attained it. I'm ready. You're already there. <laughs> I'm there. Now you're from the peak talking back to us. Right. Right, us who are just still climbing up the mountain. Actually, I think the opposite is true. I think that the more I really try to embrace my priesthood, and really that's just a specific aspect of you know embrace my sense of discipleship, it makes me more sensitive to when I know I need to repent. And there was an incident that, that literally just happened today, not a couple hours ago. Not an incident, it actually happened yesterday, but I'm hearing about about today. But I gave a presentation to some of our younger kids at the school, and um, and uh, there was, the question was asked, you know, St. Lucy was martyred. Are there still people who die for their faith? And I, and I said yes, and the only most recent example I could think of in the moment was what happened to that... French priest a number of years ago who who um, was killed in his own church. He had his his neck cut. Well, that was just too much and too scary for the little kids. And so two parents not complaining but concerned what happened, why the kids like literally couldn't sleep that night. And so I was forwarded the emails and I reached out. I said there there certainly were other ways I could have answered that question without having to be too scary or too graphic for the little kids. So. I think a, a lesser version of myself, a dumber version of myself, might have been defensive at that or thought, so, tried to justify it or whatever. But, but I, I recognized that where there was maybe some wrongness and how I uh, approached the subject, and so I repented. I'm increasingly sensitive to when I know I need to do that. And, um, 
At least I think I am. And so, um, no, I, I've not reached the uh, apex as far as that goes. I'm not uh, beyond the grace. I, I know I need it even, as, even more. I know I need it more yeah, as much as anyone else. Yeah. So um, help us understand. First of all, thanks for sharing that. That's very humble. <laughs> See how humble you are? Do you feel proud of oh, your I, humility? I, I do. It's getting puffed up <laughs> about all your humility here. And uh, but that's a very beautiful thing. And I think that in my holier moments... I'm quicker to repent, to just say, I've just got to own this. I just got to say, I'm sorry. I got to humiliate myself. It's a bit of a humiliation. Totally it is. Right? Yeah. And humble and humiliation. It's not always going to be, require that, but um, when we learn to do that quickly, it's a real grace. Yeah. It's a real grace. But let's talk about the concept of repentance in relationship to our entire lives and its orientation. Yeah. That repentance means turning around, yeah. right? What are the, the, the two dimensions to repentance, turning away from and turning towards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that all about? Well, you know, it's like if we're on a straight country road and we're looking for an, an address and and we know we've we've made the wrong turn or whatever, you know, it makes no sense to keep going forward. You're just making it worse because at some point you got to turn around and go back. And, um, but yeah, there's that twofold. I could, you know, I got to turn away from this direction where I'm going and I know it's wrong. I've been made aware now, GPS told me or whatever, that that's wrong. So I got to turn away from that so I can go toward where I know I need to go. And, and you know, it's two different directions that are addressed here, but in that same action, that same choice and act of the will to, to, to say no to this so that I can say yes to that. And um, I, I think of it also as like, you know, if I know that I'm, I've got a bucket and it's filled with junk, but I want it to be filled with clean, refreshing water or whatever, to repent means I got to empty it out there so that I can turn toward the faucet to have it refilled there. Mm-hmm. I need to be emptied of that so I can be filled with this. Yeah, that's beautiful. I uh, Not easy. No. <laughs> I, I, actually, maybe it's not beautiful. It's, it's very hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's a very humbling thing. But um, when I think about the moment we're living in, we're living in an age that's considered now increasingly post-Christian. Right with the rise of the nuns and the duns, mm-hmm. and the the increasing percentage of folks who identify as atheists, with the scientific mindset of things, with other uh, streams in our culture that are so destructive, whether it's at the beginning of life, the end of life, or around marriage and family, um, we are no longer living in a time where our culture and the wider society and its fundamental norms and laws is reflective of a Catholic or Christian way of life and worldview. Mm-hmm. That just might be a gift. Yeah. It might be a gift because it highlights what it means to turn around, Yeah, to turn around. Because I think that for a long time, and I'll speak for me, it might have been easier to think, oh, turning around is really just about repenting from specific actions, not about the entire orientation of how I'm living my life in society, in this culture, the culture is no longer supporting it. Society is no longer supporting it. And so now I really have to turn away from, well, gee, a lot of what I could accept before. Father, I want you to reflect on that in a minute. We're up against a break. Back in a minute, we're going to talk about repentance in this current moment and then the faith that flows from it. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So, Father, just before the break, I'm talking about this present moment and what repentance can mean today is, is can mean much more than just saying, I ask for forgiveness for internet pornography and pride and gluttony and sloth, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but instead, no, wait a minute, that fundamental turning of my whole life to say, wait a minute, for me, life means Christ, and that means I have to surrender and give up and give over. And renounce some of the things that I just took for granted because it was okay to do those things in our culture. Yeah, and you know, repentance. I think you're right. Repentance, just the word itself, you know, readily calls to mind, at least for me, that you know, it has only to do with like you know the sins and brokenness and poor choices. But you know, that's that's only half the story because 
I can empty out the junk from my bucket, and that's only half of the action. The other half of the action is to fill it with water from the faucet. So I can turn aside from the vice and the sin and all that, and that's emptying the bucket. But but for what? I've emptied it so that I can have it be filled with good things. And and so it's not necessarily about sin, but it's like, okay, I've 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 got room now to receive the graces, so I need to completely turn my life around to face toward Jesus and fill that void now, because if I don't deliberately allow it, you know, choose to have it be filled, if I don't do something uh, intentional about it, then it will be filled by something else. It's like people who gave up smoking, that's great, but they didn't deliberately fill that void with something else, and so what do they do? They take to overeating, and so they gain weight. But if they if they were intentional about what am I going to fill this void with, then it wasn't filled with maybe another vice. So in the spiritual realm or just in the practical practical realm of how we live our life, you know, an example, I, I was meeting with someone earlier this morning in the midst of our conversation. Um, I, I asked, uh, what, do you, what do you do on your plane trips, you know, for work? And, uh, and he told me, I said, you might give thought to, you know, rather than just zoning out or watching a show, whatever it is, to to take a spiritual read and read that or to pray the rosary and then who knows if that sparks a conversation you know, oh, you're Catholic, and then, but to, and not that those things are bad, shows are fine, depending on the show, uh, zoning out, maybe just need to rest the mind or whatever, but to do something deliberate with that, so I've emptied the bucket, but to fill it with good things, um, that's another aspect of the repentance, to say no to even these, these um, innocuous things, these neutral things of the world, but to say more and more yes to the things of heaven. I love that. I think that um, you're shifting from the repentance to the belief, right? Believing is about how am I going to actually live, yeah. live out this faith, hope, and love, and through baptism, blah blah blah. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll say more that. than blah blah blah. <laughs> but um, when it uh, when I think about the idea of things that used to be perfectly fine that just don't seem to be fine anymore in my life was the way my kids were involved in sports. Mm. We've, Carrie and I have talked about that quite a bit. A sort of repentance from and renouncing and letting go of having our kids chase the highest level, highest involvement sports uh, engagement that they could. You know, premier teams and club teams and all these other extra, extra travel teams. And it, we still bump up against all of these sort of weird, like, huh? From coaches. It just happened two days ago. Like, they thought they were so excited to say, we want to specially invite your daughter, who's 12, <laughs> to travel to Huntington Beach, California in two weeks, and uh, Arizona a month, a month later to ha- be part of a sand volleyball team, uh, you know, to represent the club. And I'm like, yeah, we're not interested in that. <laughs> She's like, what? What? And I was like, we're just not going to give that much time and energy and effort and commitment and money and and is one of us going to go with her? That's just, it's not that important. Yeah. It's not that important. And so there, that's a, that's a fundamental shift, right? Now that's one, cause that's a letting go. Yeah. But then what about faith standing up? Mm-hmm. So you were talking about witnessing that, uh, that business traveler use the time on the plane as a potential means of witnessing to Christ. What does it mean to actually believe Right? Are we really going to abandon our lives into God's hands, meaning allow him to shape how we live? So talk more about the gift of faith and living our faith as part of the, the central gospel message. Well, if, we've, if we made the uh, decision to believe um, and to, uh, to receive that gift, I guess that's an aspect of the response is that I'm just, if I'm unafraid, I'm just going to be unafraid to, to be me. I'm living the faith just by being the, 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 the Catholic Christ-like version of me, as it were. Um, maybe a specific example of that. I, I used to, I didn't really have a dog or an opinion about, a dog in the fight or opinion about whether or not I would travel wearing the clerics or just wearing a, a polo or whatever. But a very inspiring uh, talk that Archbishop Sarton, um, previous Archbishop of Seattle, gave to us priests in Spokane was he also would just used to um, just travel with like a polo until one time he, he didn't have time to pack it or whatever, so he was wearing his clerics. And all of a sudden, just him being seen in his collar invited people to have a conversation with him. And there was power in the collar, he said, that just invites that. And if it's someone who wants to rage, then we, you know, we talk about that. But oftentimes, it was people wanting to like just kind of bear their soul. And all because he made it his choice to live his faith as a believer and as a priest of Jesus Christ to wear that collar. So simple a thing. 
And so that inspired me. Now, now I do that wherever, wherever I travel because maybe it'll work, maybe not, but, but at least the invitation is there. And, and it helps me to overcome what, whatever hesitation I may have had to not wear the collar in public when I'm not with my parishioners, to overcome that and just, just be bold and fearless and joyful in giving that, that visual, that simple visual witness of what interiorly is going on, my faith and my belief in Jesus. So, okay, you're going to give me some guidance here because I might have not been the wisest guy here. <laughs> so I, this was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I was traveling and uh, I, was on a, I was waiting for my connecting flight. It was at a big airport landed and I had like uh, an hour and a half or two hours in between. As I was walking from one gate to the other, there was a, an empty gate and there was a priest sitting there. Now, it was, a, it was a man dressed in clerics. So I went and I said, Father, do you mind if I join you for a minute? And he said, sure. And I said, are you a Catholic priest? Well, yes, I am. I said, oh. I said, can I go to confession? And he said, Absolutely. And so he heard my confession, gave me absolution, and, and then I thanked him and left. Now, was that a wise thing to do? Now, the reason why is, was he really a Catholic priest? Oh. <laughs> right? I, I have yeah. never really thought about that before. But, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> how should I get proof that I'm actually talking to a Catholic priest before I would ever go to confession to someone in something like an airport? Yeah. I, I, I don't think I have an answer <laughs> for that. Um, Whenever I've been approached, I have been approached at airports to hear a confession, but it was when I was maybe traveling with someone who, who therefore knew me and knew that I was a priest. Mm-hmm. But if it's a complete stranger, um, yeah, I, I really. Um, so I say, hey, Father, g- yeah. give what's your parish. I'm going to Google you. Yeah. Right? I th- if, if he, I could do that say, now. Yeah, let's say he wasn't a priest. Um, I don't think God would like, well, boy, he went to the wrong guy because. In good in good conscience, you you went to to do something holy and to receive a sacrament that maybe needed, and, and all the whatever you know. So the uh, uh, whatever uh, blame could be had on you, I don't think there would be any. But um, but maybe on him if he was a faker, maybe he was an actor wearing a collar or something. It's like, hey, I mean, see how many sins I, how much dirt I can yeah, get on I was people, going right? Broadcasting it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an interesting uh, scenario. I, I'd have to think on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, I and I'm trying to think, would I do that today? I think if I did it today. I would probably suss it out a bit more. I think I would just simply say, oh, Father, what parish are you from? And then I would literally look it up because you have your phone, yeah, right? So you can kind of digitally look it up and make sure that... (laughs) Verify that he is who he is. Check Google images to make sure that the priest... (laughs) There's an actual picture of the priest Yeah. before you do that. Oh, you just wait. Make a sincere act of contrition and wait till you get home, right? (laughs) It's probably the wiser course. Unless you know the priest, like I mentioned. Unless you know the priest. Yes, I like that. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) All right. Uh, Any other key themes for folks who uh, maybe struggle? Because at the essence, like the deepest depth of, of... of faith is the act of entrustment. Yeah. To trust and entrust oneself, all that we are, all that we have, into the hands of the Lord. And sometimes that involves an act of surrender, yeah. an act of abandonment, right? That act of resignation or letting go. Um, that's hard for some people. Yeah. Well, a tip I might have, a good prayer I might recommend. It is a litany. It's the lit, uh, I think it's called the litany of surrender. Um, I think there's a surrender really? litany. I think there is. Um, I might be confusing with litany of humility that talks about surrender, but either one would work to kind of prep yourself with prayer and help you know the graces received in prayer and the shift in mindset to actually live that out. But then you can't go wrong with starting small. I think you talked about entrusting real estate property to the Lord, and that is huge compared to like Lord just show me who I should pray for in my holy hour, and I will pray for that person to trust and to surrender into the moment there and to, and to know that God works in that. Um, to maybe start small and then when then work your way up. I wouldn't go from, you know, from nothing to the trust fall. <laughs> uh, you know, unless you're bold, I mean, go ahead if the spirit moves you. But um, for the average person, I would think trust small and let it grow. Nice. Start small, grow tall. I like that. Well, Father, we're up against the end of our program. Believe it or not, we made it through the hour. Yeah. Talking about the gospel. We pretty much exhausted it. Yeah, I think so. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining me. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.